0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is January the nineteenth, twenty sixteen. This is episode seventeen twelve of the survival podcast. And it's Tuesday, that means it's just Jack on a single subject. Today that subject is finding your version of freedom. Yes, your version of freedom, not somebody else's version of freedom. And not telling somebody else what freedom is to them, but your version of freedom in your life now, not someday. It's not an easy issue. It's actually a complex one. It comes out of yesterday's show, which I feel wasn't the best show I ever did. But if it leads to this one being really great, then it was probably worth doing. Before we get to that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today, Chef Keith Snow. Chef Keith is an awesome guy. He's a member of our expert council, long-term sponsor of the show, and he just has an awesome website. If you get over to HarvestEating.com, you're going to find all kinds of great stuff. First, you can find the stuff that he sells, his organic teas, his spices, seasoning mixes, and other products. I use Chef Keith's spices and seasoning mixes on a daily basis pretty much. Uh, if I'm not re- reaching for uh, the northern Italian, I'm probably reaching for low and slow or Montana steak or the new prime rib stuff or the chicken curry. It's just all awesome. He also teaches you how to focus on the technique over the recipe in cooking, how to make cooking a life skill, how to cook seasonally and locally. He's got a lot of great videos on his website, a lot of great blog posts, a lot of great recipes, and he's got an awesome podcast. You can find it all at HarvestEating.com. And Remember, Chef Keith is a member of our expert council. If you have a question about cooking, you get it into me, and we'll get you an answer for it on a Friday show. Chef Keith Snow at HarvestEating.com. Long-term sp- sponsor, great partner, great fellow prepper, and just one of the most awesome guys you'll ever meet. Check out his website again today at HarvestEating.com. Sponsor of the day number two today is Backwoods Home Magazine, the easiest company that I've ever had to endorse ever in my entire career. Um, it's really easy to endorse a company when you can look back and say to yourself, I've been this company's customer for over 20 years. That's what Backwoods Home is to me. 1994, I became a subscriber to Backwoods Home. I didn't even start the Survival Podcast till 2008. I was their customer for all of those years. In the early years of the Survival Podcast, a lot of the information that I shared with you, a lot of the teaching that I did came right out of Backwoods Home Magazine. They're an incredible company, and hey, if you haven't been a a customer that long, consider going back and checking out some of their anthologies. They have anthologies going back to the very first year of public at Backwoods Home. If you want to get a subscription and you're a new subscriber, they have a deal for you in the member support brigade as well. Backwoods Home is an amazing publication. If they weren't, I wouldn't have been their customer this long. It's great today that I can work with people like Dave Duffy and John Silvera, Masada Yub and Jackie Clay. Knowing that, you know, after reading them all those years, they're now part of what I do. It's just awesome. If you check out Backwoods Home, what you'll find is a publication, sort of kind of like grit. Sort of kind of like Mother Earth News, with a lot more homesteading stuff in it, and with a libertarian flair. Check out BackwoodsHome.com today, and you'll see why I've been their customer for so very long. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. I have two for you today. A Taxing Development, the Stamp Act, is passed. No, not that Stamp Act. It's a different one. And I also have before... Uncle Sam, there was John Bull. I'm going to read that one because it really fits today's show a little bit. Before Uncle Sam, there was John Bull. John Bull is an inspiring British character used to represent the everyman. He is a common sense fellow who simply wants what is best for Great Britain and knows how to get it done. No nonsense, not a lot of talking, just action. In images, he is sometimes shown pointing the way or pointing at you. This year, the fictional story uh, entitled The History of John Bull is Published. The publisher is bullish on its sales prospects. The character will live on into the modern day as a symbol of Great Britain, just as Uncle Sam is often used to symbolize the United States of America. My take by Alex Shrugged who puts these together for us. The character of Uncle Sam has disputed origins. Most agree, the earliest reference was from the War of 1812. A fellow named Sam Wilson was generally known as Uncle Sam. He produced rations for the military and stamped the containers with the letters U.S., meaning United States. But with a good-natured ribbing, his fellows said it stood for Uncle Sam. Historians have dug up references to an Uncle Sam that represent either the country itself, the land, or the government's authority. In any case, Uncle Sam did not start out like John Bull, who simply represented the common man. Um, my take by Jack Spirico. Uncle Sam represents authority. That's what Uncle Sam works represents. Uncle Sam doesn't represent us. He represents the government who says, I want you to join the army and go off to a war. And I'm just going to leave it at that today from my take. And I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions about that as we go through today's show. Um, one of the uh, little... Bullet points Alex has in here today, though, is something that I think might be interesting to some people. In this year, 1712, Frederick the Great is born in Berlin, Prussia. I'm reminded of the quote from Conan the Barbarian, Do you want to live forever? That is a paraphrased quote from Frederick the Great. Do you want to live forever? None of us, my friends, live forever. That's why it's important that we make the most out of the living that we have to live. My take by Jack Spierko. Next up, let me remind you about the member support brigade. Hey, if you love the Survival Podcast, you want to make sure that I'm always here to do this show for you like I've done for the last eight years, consider becoming a member today. Um, it's really not very expensive. You can do it as little as $5 a month, and the discounts that we get you will more than pay back for your membership. That's all that I'll say on that today. And let's go ahead and get right into today's show. So first I want to kind of take a quick second and apologize at least a little bit for yesterday's show. Not because anything I said upset anybody or anything like that. I just don't feel I was on my A game yesterday. And I know that no one bats a 1,000. Heck, no one's bat, batted 400, I think, in the Major League Baseball since Ted Williams, right? So let alone bite 1,000. So I can't always make every show the best show I've ever done and always be better than the day before. And I can't even always make sh- every show really, really, really good. And I think there was some good in yesterday's show, but I felt disjointed. And the reality is what happened yesterday is I was never supposed to go that deep into the presidential election and my hypothesis and things like that. It was supposed to be part of a feedback show that led to other things, but I I couldn't let it go. And I couldn't let it go because I care about what's going to happen to this country, and I care about people understanding it. And I keep seeing people saying, oh, that could never happen, and I I think maybe realizing that a lot of those that's can and probably will happen uh, are important toward being prepared, which is what this show is supposed to be all about. It then led me to get some feedback from you guys, and one is a story of freedom, a glorious story of freedom, But it has a flaw if it is the answer. So let me read that to you. And again, I'm telling you, I admire this person a great deal for what they've done. And I think they've put a ton of freedom in their life. And I think they're an example for people that want what they have. Okay, So it's not a criticism of the method or the person or anything else. But there's something we can learn from it as an answer versus the answer. Scott says, how do you make it easy? You don't. You also don't change the system alone, or in small numbers. Even a community like the Amish just wind up being made fun of and attacked for perceptions of not contributing to society. Change yourself, be the change you want to see, and if it stands as truth and beauty when the rest of the system was created and allow it fails, and it is designed to, only, only then will there be change. Society will burn the last tree standing to get power for one more episode of Reality TV, Nothing will change this insane path apart from a widespread failure, and social engineering is a very fine and studied art. I don't know if it's possible for people to become undomesticated. I have been unschooling for years, and I still find more trash in my thought processes at all times. I have friends who were homeschooled, and they sold out to debt, and the system is just the same as public, just the same as public school students have. They are much more learned than me, but not smart enough to resist the pull of modern life. Honestly, I even hit points where I just don't see how or don't want to do without the system's luxuries. It runs so deep. Given time though, the answers always come, then I just have to be brave enough to act. Now the bright spot, I hope. I lived in a tent. Worked and saved every penny for a year and a half and bought two acres. And camped another year to build a basic shelter, which has grown into a family dwelling. I learned each aspect of house building and got paid to do so in construction. We learned the process of raw foods in bulk to, to everything, including Twinkies. We learned to process raw foods in bulk into everything, including Twinkies. Okay, To do so is cheap. We spend $250 a month for a family of four and eat very, very well. Having steak tonight, in fact, from our own cow, served with sunchokes, garden greens, and grated daikon radishes, carrots, and fig vinegar, and kombucha. Cost for four people, six bucks total, factoring in the cost of the cow, butcher fees, hay, sugar, tea bags. Every year, more and more fruit and nut trees begin to produce, and soon we will buy almost nothing. Plenty of cash for the insurrection fund. Extra will be sold to make up for any income needed. The amazing thing in this low-income lifestyle is we save money have more liquid cash than my friends who have college house car debt. If you want freedom you have to be willing to sacrifice to take it, carve out a place in the world. If what you really love is stuff, new cars, houses and having to save and not having to save first, then just go back to sleep. I took a well-paying upper middle class job to save for more land, quickly felt sick from the loss of freedom and quit. It was just not worth it once you have been outside the fence. Waiting a couple years longer, we raised the money to buy it now for cash anyway. Find your vision and fight with passion for it without asking permission. Okay, I think that's amazing. I think that living like that, for me, would be fantastic. I think that's actually probably a little further off the grid, so to say, than my wife wants to live, which we will come back to why that is a consideration later in today's show, so I'll let it go for now. But what I'll say is there's a lot of people that listen to this show. They don't want to live like that. They don't want to live like that. I get up every day, and the first thing I do is feed 130 ducks and about 50 quail. Okay, I have to clean water. I have to pick up eggs. I have to make sure they have their feed. I have to make sure they go to the right place. I have to dump pools of duck crap. I have to do what a lot of people would consider hard work. I have to do it when it's hot out. I have to do it when it's cold out. I have to do it when it's beautiful out. And it has to be done every day. These are living things that require food, water, shelter, security, okay, and they produce a product that we then sell for a profit that requires care in order to not be damaged or lost and end up costing us money instead of making us money. So I have to do that. In many ways, I am now a slave to my land, but it's chosen. I love it. The only regret that I have with my lifestyle right now is with all of the other things that I do with conventional business is I don't have enough time to do more of it. That's it. I was out there today, and I was just looking at all these things I need to get done by, by summer and coming to the realization they're not all going to get done, so I'd better figure out which ones are the most important and make sure those get done and what order that goes in, and I better work my ass off in that order to get that done. Dorothy and I are going to California. We found a great family that will come down here and house it for us, so we get to go to Permaculture Voices together. We get to spend a lot of time together that was much better than me going and her staying here. And we were able to find somebody to come do that. But we have to do that. We just can't pick up and leave. And if you are a homesteader and you have animals, that is your life. You can't just walk away. Now, there's some livestock that you walk away from a week, for a week. You get quail set up with automation, you can pretty much leave quail alone for a week. But in the end, if something goes wrong while you're gone with all your automation, you're going to come home with sick animals or dying animals. And that's not why any of us do this. So that's just one example of how that particular life is not right for everybody. And what I mean by this is what Scott, who made that comment, says is, here's what I did to get this, right? And the problem is that most people wouldn't make those sacrifices to get what I have. I I think there's some truth to that, don't get me wrong, but I also think there's a whole bunch of people that if they didn't have to sacrifice that, if I said, this is what I'm going to do for you, fill in the blank with your name, I am going to pay off all your debt for you. I'm going to give you a piece of land that you can homestead out in the sticks. I am going to give you all the animals that Scott has. I'm going to set you up with Scott's life like this. You won't have to sacrifice anything for it, except you'll have to go live there. There are a whole bunch of people that would go, no. There's a whole bunch of people that would go, woohoo, and go live it for five months and go, I hate this. And there's a whole bunch of people that say, man, I can't believe I can't take this opportunity because... And it wouldn't always be because of a job, because I'm gonna say you're gonna make debt, you can go out and live Scott's lifestyle, there's enough income available there to live that life. They're gonna say, but my wife doesn't want to live that way. My family's here, not there. And there's nothing wrong with saying these things are more important to me than those things, even though I want those things too. And this brings me to the crux of the problem and why I feel we have so much work to do for Liberty. While it's possible to do what I've done and break free of corporate America, build your own business in this country, and live in a place where you're not out in the middle of nowhere, where you still have access to the services and things that some people want to have in their life. In our case, it was more important to us that we be near to our family, and it was more important to Dorothy than it was to me. Okay, just to be honest. But now that I'm back, I realized how much I missed my son in those two years. And as I've become a grandfather, I'm about to become a grandfather again, I understand that even more. Now it's a bigger thing to me. You know, because I, I look at certain places in the country that I think that would be more pleasing for me to live in, more affordable, more land, easier to do the things that I want to do. And I think, you know what, if we could just take them with us, it would be a totally different thing. But I know that's not in the cards. And it's not right for me to drag them with us. So I'm willing to make certain sacrifices and I'm not willing to make certain other sacrifices. When we came back here, I was unwilling one hundred percent to look at conventional housing, and by that I mean housing where you you know you live in a, a housing development where there was any kind of an HOA or city authority. I told my wife, I'll move back. I gotta have some acreage and I gotta be able to do what I want to do. And she wanted to come back enough that she was willing to do that with me. And she was willing to give up some of what she might have wanted. So we had to compromise on that. This is not one person infringing on another person's liberty because your wife or your husband is a voluntary association. No one makes you stay with your wife or your husband. You are, Whether you believe it or not, you are absolutely free to leave your spouse at any time. Not that there's no consequence. See, this is what people think. If you're you're free to do something, there's no consequence to the action. That's not the case. You're free to jump off a building. No one can actually prevent you from doing that. But you might actually have some exhilaration for uh, a few seconds or less, depending on how high it is. But the consequence exists at the bottom of the fall. That's not an impediment upon your liberty. That is a reality and a consequence. So, in essence, all of us have incredible freedom, but there's different consequences. And some of the consequences are what you call natural consequences. Leaving someone you love and missing them is a natural consequence, okay? Leaving a a business agreement that you've made commitments to and having a financial loss as part of your contract is a voluntary association Therefore, it is a natural consequence, okay? You've chosen to do something. You've chosen to agree to something. You've changed your mind. If you have a good contract, you already know what the cost of that is. And when you leave, it's a natural consequence. Breaking a lease on an apartment. When you sign a lease for an apartment, it says, if you break your lease early, here are the consequences, okay? This is a natural, voluntary, anything that's a voluntary association between people, where either party can leave is natural. And the consequences are also natural. Okay? And somebody out there is going to go, what about slavery? Slavery is not a mutual agreement because no, neither party can leave. Neither party can leave. It's an infringement, and it, it makes one person the property of another. Now, what people will say, what if the slave voluntarily agrees to that? Okay? If the person's intelligent enough to know exactly what they're doing and they do it, I don't like it at all in any way, shape, or form. But who am I to tell them they can't do it? Who am I to tell them they can't do it? People make terrible decisions that could be far worse than being somebody's servant all the time. And slavery is a very expensive proposition in the modern world, and most people aren't interested in having slaves anymore in any part of the developed world. That problem is largely seen to itself, honestly. So let's be realistic and and say that then 99% of voluntary associations are natural, and the consequences that come from them are also natural. What is an unnatural consequence is true slavery. And that is when the decision to contract you to another party, is done without your consent or prior to your ability to have enough information to make the decision for yourself. So when we are born, we are bound by a contract that is the way this country is run, without our consent. No one asks us if we want to agree to all the things that we have to agree to if we are to stay here as citizens of this country. I'm not saying there's a lot of better places to go. I'm just saying we are not given that freedom. And once you grow up and become an adult in this country, leaving this country and and, and saying, I don't want this, is a lot more difficult than you would think that it is. It's a lot more difficult than you would think that it is. And the consequences can be quite severe... But the obligation was made without your consent. And a lot of the obligations are to not do certain things or to do certain things that you may not want to do or that you may want to do that are now considered criminal. I don't want to go into specific examples because they get too polarizing. But honest to God, nothing could be more accurate with this than pot, marijuana. Because because I was born here, And I'm obligated by the laws of this country, taking a seed and putting it in the ground and watering it until it grows into a green plant, even if I never do anything else with it, is a criminal activity. And quite a serious one still in the state of Texas, by the way. At least I could leave the state of Texas and go to somewhere where maybe that is not considered as evil, like Colorado or California, where they take other of my liberties. But do you know that if I go to Colorado or California or any other place that's legalized recreational marijuana, if I take that seed, plant it in my own backyard and grow that plant, even if I never do anything else with it, it's a crime there too. Now, how is it... How is it that you can make a legitimate case for binding me to an agreement not to grow a plant at my birth by initiating a citizenship on me before I had... And I'm not saying I wouldn't have taken it anyway. all right? But but you, you start to understand, this is why all of these laws and regulations and controls that are hoisted onto people in this nation are, in my view, immoral. But they're not immoral in the way that we see somebody that would be a pedophile or something like that actually you know intentionally harm someone else you know or a murderer or a rapist not to that level of immorality it's such a delusional immorality that society has believed that it's necessary never even thinks about it that way so as we go on today i think the first thing that we actually have to do is understand some things about freedom Because if we don't understand these six things, we cannot be free as people. We can't. The first one is, no one can define freedom for you, nor can you for another. This is actually anti-freedom. Some people think that freedom is what's defended when our nation takes tanks and bombs and blows up other countries. In the name of freedom. That that protects our freedoms. Well, unless that nation was a clear and present danger to ours... Even the conventional wisdom doesn't work. Unless that that nation actually had the capacity to come here and actually change our way of life, then they were not a threat to our freedom, so anything we've done from there is not freedom. Nor is killing innocent people in the name of freedom, freedom, or going to war with a country in the name of freeing the population and having many of the people who were getting by end up dead, but then the nation does get our version of freedom, whatever we call it, right? Democracy or a republic with a democratic election process. And then that country, let's say, even does fairly well with this newfound freedom. But it wasn't our choice to make for those people to free them and kill them because they can't be free because now they're dead. The the father who looks at his country as being a little better off than it was before we got there, but his child is in a grave, doesn't have a very positive view of America. It's not the same as when a father sees his son go off to a war he believes in by choice and doesn't come home and says, well, the sacrifice was worth it. It wasn't your sacrifice to make for that other person's child to die. That's just one way of seeing this tenet. Another way is, maybe when I talked about marijuana, you didn't like it. Maybe you thought marijuana should be illegal. You can't define freedom for me. Freedom for me is not being protected from a plant. Freedom for me is being able to know what that plant is, know what it does, know what its uses are, choosing my daily knife not to use it because I don't think it benefits me, but know that there are certain medicinal uses because I'll tell you what, not all, but there are certain cancers that have had amazing responses specifically to cannabis oil, and if I get one, I will freaking shoot you before I let you prevent me from saving my own life. Okay? And the fact that I would have to do that is disgusting, but it's I want you to think about this really. If that substance can save my life, and you're willing to let somebody arrest me and incarcerate me and not let me have it in the name of protecting freedom. And I shoot your ass so that I can have it. It is no different than if you were pointing a gun at me and about to kill me and I shot you so you didn't kill me. My life is still being threatened by your oppression of my rights. And and when you start to look at it that way, you realize how deep that goes. You cannot define freedom for others. You can have some universal ideals of freedom. One would be that anybody should be able to live their life their way, not protected from natural consequences, but free of intervention by aggression from anybody else until said time as they aggress on somebody else's rights and freedoms and liberties. And that means you have to be very comfortable with a whole lot of people doing things you don't like. Next, (laughs) what some would consider total freedom, others might consider total slavery and vice versa. If I gave you Scott's life, you might think it's the greatest. There are so many of you in this audience that are working for exactly what Scott has, and he's probably a hero to you now, and he should be because he busted his ass to get where he is and to give his family the life that they have, and that's wonderful. But there are others of you that would go, this sucks. This sucks. I want to live in a community. I want to ride my bike to get stuff. I don't want to be hell and gone from nowhere. I want to go down to a park and talk to people I never met before. I w- and you should be able to live free there, too. Now, that doesn't mean there might not be natural consequences if the government got out of the way. For all the bashing I do of HOAs, if there was no freaking overriding federal, state, local, county government on top of all that shit, and HOAs were a natural response, and people could voluntarily enter or leave one, And you couldn't annex shit with it or whatever. You had to set it up. Everybody that was part of it had to agree from the beginning. I wouldn't care. It's the additional layer they represent that makes me care. Okay? So I think that people should be able to set up a community and say, hey, you know what? Um, No cars on these streets after 10 o'clock at night until 6 o'clock in the morning. If they want to. If everybody there agrees to that when they set that up, and they set that up their own way, and no one's compelled to be part of it that doesn't want to be part of it. And anybody that wants to leave, leaves. And when they leave, if they sell their house, it's fully disclosed to the person who chooses to enter that community. These are the restrictions. And they choose to enter. I'm okay with that. I think it's stupid. But it's your right to live that way. But that's the whole point. If I gave you that opportunity, you might think this is a great place to live. I love this. You know, you might, they might do it at 6, you know, six o'clock. You get home, your car's parked, you're done. I love the kids can play in the street after 6 o'clock until 9 o'clock in the summertime with nobody getting run over. I love that about this place. And I'd be like, you know what, I might want to (laughs) leave. I might want to leave and go get something. Well, too bad. Well, I don't live here. See, that's okay. But you you have to be okay with that level of freedom of others in order to have freedom for yourself. Third, if you have to withdraw to a place you don't want to be in order to be free... You're not free. If you, because I watch these shows, the Alaska shows, right? The Last Frontier and all this and Life Below Zero or whatever. And these people live incredibly free lives. Uh, Especially the one family on Life Below Zero. It's like two girls and a mother and father. I think they have an older boy that's there with them sometimes and not at others. And they basically camp in the middle of nowhere and live in a tent for like six months out of the year, during the better part of the year. And then they take all of the game and all of the food that they've stored up during that time and they take it back with them and they live more of a small town. It's really a small town. Like, you'd still consider that nowhere. Those people love that. And if you want that kind of freedom to do whatever you want, and frankly, there's laws and regulations and stuff, but most of the time when they're out there, there's no one there to see what they're doing anyway. But if, if living there makes you miserable and you're only there to be left alone, you're not free. You have to figure out how to have the things you want, to a large degree, to have as much freedom as possible, and be happy. If you're miserable, you're not free. Fourth, if you are to have other people in your life, your freedoms must be balanced with theirs. And in my little aside on the bottom of the list of six, I said, if the fourth sounds like socialism to you, as in the statist way, check your perception bias at the door. Here I'm talking about the close voluntary associations like spouses, families, or perhaps an intentional community. So if you're going to be married, you are not going to be totally free. Man or woman, not totally free. Can't be. Now there's two people involved. So there's going to be, because of that natural association, natural consequences. I want this, she wants that. I want this, he wants that. And then you have to balance that. Because part of your freedom was choosing to be with that person. And your love for that person creates a bond. And the longer that love is is lived out to its fullest potential, the stronger that bond becomes. And it's a wonderful thing. But it comes with a requirement for balance. I'm not going to live in the middle of the mountains because my wife's not going to be happy. And if my wife's not happy, I'm not happy. And if I'm not happy, I'm not free. So how much I can use geography to create freedom from government in my life, because there's a lot of things to be free of other than government, like debt would be another thing, right? But my ability to use geography for the purpose of freedom is limited by how much I want to be with my wife versus get away. See? So you always have to balance your freedom with the freedoms of others and the desires of others within your life that you choose to voluntarily associate with. Even an anarchist utopia would not change that. It might change how far you'd have to go to be free, though. Okay. Fifth if you are to have freedom, others must be able to do things you don't like and do not approve of, etc. You really can't have freedom in a world where your version of freedom is, here's all the things I think people should be allowed to do. And here's a whole list of things that I don't like, so nobody should be able to do that. I mean, and that is how so many people think right now. And I'll tell you, the left and right are equally guilty in America of this. And I won't go into specific examples again, because it doesn't really help. All it does is polarize people. But you just have to think about the general morality principle. That if you believe that what you're doing is should be permissible, because you believe that it doesn't harm anyone, and then you look at something you don't like, and it either harms no one, or the only person it actually would harm is the person doing the activity, and they are willing to accept that, because here's an example that's not a debatable example that just kind of paints the picture. It's not a hot-button issue. A lot of people think that you know if you're doing a, a behavior that's really risky to your life, it, we should restrict it with drug use. okay? But look at some of the things that people do all the time that are in many ways far more risky than drug use that are completely legal, and I'm not talking about alternative substances, rock climbing. People free rock climb all the time. If you're 800 feet above sharp, jagged rocks and you are climbing without ropes and you slip and fall, you're dead. You're dead. But we don't have a law to prevent people from doing that. Why? And almost no one on the right and very few people except the extremists on the left would ever say, we need a law that doesn't let people rock climb because you've chosen to do it. And when you're climbing a rock in the middle of nowhere, the odds that you're going to land on an innocent guy walking by are about a million to one. So you die. It's tragic. If you're, the people that love you will weep for you and probably say something like, at least he died doing what he loved. But we don't restrict that just because it's something we... And many of us would go, I think if you're going to rock crime, you should be using safety gear. I think it's dumb. And, but if you say, do you want to pass a law that makes people do it? No. And that's how you have to start looking at everything if you want freedom. If you can't actually be hurt by it, and if no one else can legitimately be hurt by it, not that there's likely some chain of events, because you driving a car can lead to a chain of events that kills 57 people tomorrow, even if you've technically done nothing illegal or wrong. So you, you can't be like this this, this nervous nilly about life. You've got to take some reality. But if the overall reality is, you know, that doesn't hurt you, then you have to be okay with them doing it, even if you're not okay with doing it yourself, or even if you prefer that they didn't. Six, the current state of the world is not a state of freedom. So you will have to fight for every piece of it you take back, or you'll have to be strategic. There's no third option. You either have to do the off-the-grid thing, right, or you have to pick and choose your battles and decide what works best for you and leverage the system to your own bends. There's no other option. Um, and what I kind of want to move on from that is I think that one of my main tenets of modern survival philosophy, Tenant 10, which is the, the guiding tenets that have, have led the direction of this show for eight years, is what you do matters. That what I do it, it, it does not dictate what you should do. And that's from survival planning, preparedness planning, lifestyle design, whatever it is. I never tell you do this, this, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, step six, step seven, step eight. Eat this way, exercise this way, store this stuff, don't store it. Because all you're going to do is pick and choose all the things that you agree with, ignore all the things you don't agree with. To the point where you get tired of hearing what you don't agree with and go away and not stay part of our community here at TSP. And that's going to do you a disservice because your your entire lifestyle design or your entire preparedness plan will be incomplete. Because instead of empowering you to do what works for you and giving you all the different ideas I can, including the ones I'd say, I wouldn't do this, but you could, right? Right? Unless I do that, you can't get enough out of this show and the efforts of this community to really build freedom, liberty, independence, self-sufficiency, and self-reliance in your life. I have to be willing to say, hey, look, you, 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 you have the ability to change your own life, and every little thing you do matters, even if it's not what I would do. It matters. Planting one little pot of basil on your windowsill matters, but it's only half the equation. If we are ever going to truly be a force for liberty, we have to be less individualistic in our efforts. We have to start coordinating our efforts more. And sometimes it's not going to be complicated. I think what we're doing with the Regenerative Agriculture Group on Facebook is a perfect example of that. People all over the country and, frankly, all over the world getting together, sharing ideas, and building a movement in one individual sector that will come into continuous collisions with authority. There's no world right now that's running into it more, really. I mean, every time somebody sets up a place with a couple goats or a couple pigs or something, there's somebody telling them they can't do it. So let's have that fight. And let's support each other in that fight. And I think we need everything from intentional communities to homeschooling, like I talked about yesterday. And I don't know that I conveyed it well, so I kind of want to talk about it just a little bit more here at this point in the show what I'm really trying to come up with. And I, the reason I, I don't just spit it out is because I don't know how to do it. For instance, my sister-in-law is a public school teacher. My wife has said so many times to me, I really wish that Marion could just basically teach kids privately and replace their income so she didn't have to work for the school anymore. Like For parents that wanted their kids to have an education, but didn't want to homeschool or couldn't homeschool, they could just all go to my sister-in-law, and she could teach them. Well, how great would that would be? Well, so you, you start doing a little bit of math and figuring out how much the economic system is rigged with phony fake money. If she got 20 kids to give her 2,500, or 20 parents to give her $2,500 a piece, she could make about $50,000 a year. And 20 is about the number of kids that a person, if they're going to teach the way we're thinking of, could probably handle. And then, well, are you going to just get 20 kids that are all of the same performance level and kind of teach or are you going to do one school schoolhouse or whatever? But with that $50,000, that doesn't replace her income. Remember we talked yesterday about paying your own social security and things like that. What are the impediments to that? Because homeschooling is legal, but is a person just being a school teacher, the parents dropped, or are they going to call that a daycare? Now you have license and certification for that. Now they're in daycare so they're not in a homeschool. See? There's all these restrictions in there. But let's say there wasn't. Let's say you could just get a room and start a school. And say we take 20 students and that's it, no more. And there was no red tape to it. Okay, the the building costs money, the electricity. You can't run that at that price. How many parents can afford $2,500 a year? A lot of them, if they weren't paying property taxes, but they are paying property taxes. So the economics to work out there are something more like $5,000 a year. Which, if you can afford that, you can probably afford a private school and your kid's already in there. What if you have two kids or three? Now you're looking at 15 grand a year. So it just, the the numbers don't work for that type of thing, but I think that type of thing would be valuable. So, what I'm talking more about is more like consider it like a rec center model. We're going to say like a maker space, but it's a maker space for homeschoolers. And maybe it has some of the conventional things that Makerspace has, like, a CNC machine or whatever, but computer labs and things like that. And there's, like, a membership fee. And then teachers can individually sell courses. But how do you protect that under the homeschool umbrella? But I think if you have something like that, it becomes much more doable. You, know, you start to get into something that maybe you could run at enough of a... And maybe you run it as a non-profit or a not-for-profit, right? Um... But like a $99 a month per child thing, it's not cheap, but it does open up a lot of doors that are currently closed, and maybe it's not something that a child has to go to every day. How do they get there? How do they get home? How do you see, I mean, you can do this, but it can't be done by somebody who just sets it up and opens the door for business. This would have to be a consorted effort of enough parents getting together deciding they wanted this to happen and then making it so. And, and, and we've been so misdirected with mine and ours that this is what a parent thinks. Well, well my, my kid's in ninth grade. I'm in, but I'm only in for five years. And you know what? That's perfectly fine. That would be, you'd be one of the pioneers to help get it off the ground. And by then, you should have other people coming in to use the service you've created. But no, i you like, well, you're gonna I'm going to be stuck here for 12 years Right? I got two kids. You only got one. You're only paying half. See, we start fighting with each other before we even get a solution implemented. So, <laughs> we really have to start getting past that if we're going to make headroads into any of these things, not just this world of getting our kids out of the government schools. And please one more time. Somebody commented in the comments that they did the homeschool thing, it wasn't working, so they put their children back in public school. Not fault in the choice if it's not working you got to do what you got to do but let's let's be honest and call it what it is it's not a public school it's a government school okay it's a government school there's plenty of private businesses that are public businesses in other words anybody from the public can walk in and do business of their own choosing right a government school is not public if you don't have kids there in general you can't go they won't let you in for the pay safety of the children it's a government school Let's at least, can we all do that together? Can everybody in this audience do me a favor? I don't generally ask a lot of this audience, especially with activism or things like that. But there's over 100,000 of you guys. If we had 100,000 people that refused to refer to public schools as public schools and insisted they were government schools and simply did things like when somebody says, well, my kids go to public school. Oh, you mean government school. Well no, it's public no, it's government schools run by the government, it's funded by the government, and it, it, it sees to the government's objective. An individual uh, it, you know, you don't you don't get to choose and not anybody can go to that school. Only the students that they're told can go based on where they live. You can't just go there. You can't parents just can't walk into a school anymore. It's not public, it's a government school. I think that alone could be a mess. See, and I think that's what we have to start understanding. Where are these little spots, these little pressure points? You can just begin to open minds with and don't have a big argument about it. You know, I still think it's a public school. Okay, well, you're entitled to your opinion. How, how do you think the, the Broncos are going to do against the Patriots or whatever? Okay? That, that's, that's how you plant those seeds. You, you plant it, you walk away. Um, I also want to put another idea in your head. In many ways, this modern system is anarchy absent the non aggression principle. That's going to hurt a lot of anarchist heads and a lot of other people's heads. So in an anarchy, people are free to choose their own way of living. They can choose their own leaders. They can choose to be alone or they can choose to say, I want to be part of a group and this group has a certain leader or authority position. It might be revocable. I can't be coerced to follow, but if I don't follow, then the group says, well, you're not part of what we're doing anymore. Okay, And this is why we can't change the system from inside the system, nor should we. Because we'd be violating our own principle if you're an anarchist or a libertarian, if you change the system with the system. You have to change the people. The people want it this way. I know it's hard to believe, but the average American wants life the way that it is. They want to be told what to do. Do you know the number one thing that's common among Trump voters? I read an article on this. Probably I'll never find it for the show notes. But if somebody finds it and can put it in the in the, uh, in the the comments today, I'll add it to the links section after I see it the number one thing that was found to be common among supporters of donald trump is they're authoritarian types they 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 like to be in charge and they want somebody else in charge you know it's about authority right because i mean if you listen to the guy i don't know how you support him it's up to you who you want to do but i mean it just oh come on and but that's what it is it's about authority and people want authority in their lives They want authority. They want to be told what to do. They want other people to be told. See, most people say they want freedom. They don't want freedom. Because what do we say freedom is? Freedom is being able to do what you want, but not being able to prevent other people from doing what they want. Freedom is being responsible for your own actions, not being protected from consequences that are natural consequences. Now, other people may help you, but there's no official way for that to happen you have to be viewed as valuable enough that your members of your community say he fell down let's pick him up or some group of people who have chosen to voluntarily dedicate their lives to picking people up say this person needs our help there's not just some sort of safety net that actually is a hammock that people live the rest of their life in and many of us are protected by that that hammock I refuse to call it a net it's a hammock too many people lay in it for their entire lives for it to be a net okay (laughs) A safety net is a guy's on a trapeze, he's flying through the air with the greatest of ease. he screws up, he falls, he lands in the net. He doesn't hit the ground, he doesn't die. He gets his ass out of the net, climbs back up, and gets on the trapeze. Okay, And the net doesn't guarantee he might not get hurt, he might break his fingers, his hand, his arm when he falls, get out of the net, he has to heal, and then he can get back his ass up on the trapeze. Okay, If a guy falls out of the trapeze, lays in the trapeze, says, bring me something to eat, I'm going to stay here in the net, it's not a hammock. That's the safety net in America today. Okay, But people want it. So in a way, what we have is the same thing that we would have under anarchy, people choosing their own way. But the problem is when you take the non-aggression principle away, then the people of a majority or the people that can better use a system can use aggression to force compliance by everybody else. That's what we have today. So how can we begin to break the programming? The first thing we need to start doing is have non-reactionary discussions. And one of the best things is, well, why do you feel that way instead of here's why you're wrong? Now, I realize who I am to be saying this because I talk about how wrong people are all the time. I'm also on a podcast. I'm not having an individual discussion with somebody about an issue. Okay? I, I am here to provide a viewpoint And I'm also here on some levels to provide some level of entertainment and engagement and to create a reaction so that you'll think and do all sorts of other things. But if you're going to have a discussion with your brother who you actually like and respect and don't think is a moron about gun control, and he's for greater gun control, then you have to have a non-reactionary discussion. You can't talk about, they take my guns, I'll shoot them. That will not work with your brother. That will not help. It will polarize him further into his position. And he also needs to learn how to do the same thing. So if you're the brother that's that, you need to learn how to do the same thing. But we have to start having discussions based on the actual morality of when we look at something like gun control. Yes, it's important to protect life. But no, you can't take away my ability to protect my own life or someone else's in order to protect the hypothetical life of a third person. I have as much right to defend my life and my property and my family as you do to defend somebody you don't even know yet. You can't do it at my expense. That, that's a non-reactionary discussion. and it Because it, 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 I'm going to tell you right now, if you're having a discussion with a person about gun control who's on the left side of that issue, no amount of statistics and facts is ever going to change their opinion. And we'll talk about morality here right now. Because we also need to be focusing on morality over facts and issues. Because the reality is, facts and issues are subjective. Yes, facts are absolute if they're facts. Historical fact is absolute if it's fact. But in general, the historical facts we discuss, even in the history segment, even the amazing work that Alex does, are still subject to being wrong. They're still subject to being wrong. But we can still determine morality. So we can look at at, at at somebody from history, like, let's say, a more modern history, Pol Pot, in Southeast Asia. Kill a million, he killed two million, he killed 500,000. How many really died? Does it really matter? Now, I think that it does to a degree, but I think what's more important is that we look at that and go, gee, killing people because they don't fall in line with your political view is wrong. And it's amazing how many people can agree with that. Instead of arguing the particulars of communism or socialism or republicanism, you you focus on morality over facts and issues. You also have to focus on morality over feelings. Especially, and I know this is going to be a little polarizing, but especially on the liberal side of things. The average American liberal really feels that the ideas of leftist government are good because they help people. And because they're so focused on who they might help, they don't understand who they might hurt. And the same thing is true of the right. When, when Because one way or another, you have to understand, and this is... Really, really important to understand, morality is used to divide us. Because in general, most of us are moral. Most of us are moral people. And if you look at somebody who is, let's say, a typical, not a politician, so understand when I say a typical Democrat or typical Republican, I'm not talking about the people that run for office. I'm talking about the people that generally bust their ass all day long, do their best for their family, and they call themselves that because once every two or four years when they go to vote, that's how they primarily vote. That's what I'm talking about. So the average Republican thinks it's reprehensible that government takes so much of its people's property and finds that to be just absolutely immoral because it's wrong to take something that someone else works so hard for. So raising taxes on one group of people because they're perceived to have more is morally wrong. Okay. The average Democrat says for one-tenth of one percent of this country to control the majority of its wealth when we are the wealthiest nation in the world is morally reprehensible and wrong. So that wealth should be redistributed. Guess what? Both sides probably agree with both things. If you say to the average Democrat, if, if, if a guy works really hard And he grows 20 apple trees. And he picks all of his apples. And he wants to keep his apples. Should he be able to keep his apples? i will probably say, well, yeah, because you haven't made it into money yet. Well, if he sells his apples and makes a profit, what should happen then? Well, he should pay his taxes. What's the difference? If we focus on just the morality, what's the difference? And it it, it really changes the dynamic of, of the conversation. The, the average Democrat doesn't think the person that actually worked hard for what they have should have their property taken either. They're so divorced from who those other people are, they see them all as the rich people. Okay. The average Republican knows that that top 1% is never, ever, ever, ever going to be taxed on their wealth. Because, you know, many of them understand, I won't say most, but many of them understand the structuring of that wealth is immune to income tax. It's absolutely positive. It's not in the form of general income. It's not even in the form of general capital gains. It's sheltered as corporate wealth and the individual controls the corporation that's not going to pay any taxes. Okay? And closing the corporate tax loopholes isn't going to happen. And even if it did, the corporation will just adjust and create phantom losses. So you can't get that money through that system. But then then what the average Republican does is says, well, too bad. As though there's nothing that can be done about this inequity. So the two sides look at each other and see a conflict of morality. But they actually agree. I don't think there's anybody here that's of the, the 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 right political persuasion that thinks it's acceptable for that 1% to control so much wealth. But they're afraid that the second you begin to do something about it, that the people that will actually pay are the people that are in the top 20, 25%, that worked really hard to get where they are, that have nowhere near that much wealth, and they're right. So... The only way to resolve that one very complex issue is for that right and left side of the the dichotomy to start having a discussion that only looks at the people that actually control the wealth rather than the people that actually create the wealth. But they can't have that discussion. And if you can go down the list, you can go down the list, folks, of every issue, gun control, abortion, every toxic Third rail issue you can think of. You can go down. And the the division is the same. It's about morality. Both sides believe that their position is more moral. And actually in many positions, they actually have the same position. But it's so divided that people are kept in one side or the other. Because there's two or three of those issues that they absolutely will not compromise on. Because they fear what happens if they do. And I understand why they feel that way on both sides. So we need to begin to build teams, coalitions, co-ops, you name it. We have to start expanding beyond just being homesteaders. That doesn't mean that if that's what you want to do, you should stop doing that. And that doesn't even mean you need to be part of one of these other things. What I'm saying is we need those other things too. We need to follow the lead of the Free State Project. We we really do. I mean, it's great what they're doing in New Hampshire. I'm so excited for them. And you're not going to do it in Texas. You might be able to do it in one county in Texas, you know, or one county in Arkansas or one county in Florida. You, you may be able to. I don't know. It's not my path. It's not what I want. We're going to get to why that's important here in a second. But we need everybody. I'm an anarchist. I work outside of the system. It does not mean that I don't respect the people that are working for good in the system. It's just that's not my talent. Just like I think it's really awesome that some people can pick up a chainsaw and get a big-ass hunk of a tree and carve it into a totem pole that looks like it belongs in a museum. I think that's awesome. I'm not going to do it because that's not what I'm good at. We'll have to recognize our own talents. We also have to not always go away quietly. There's times where we say, no, we're not going to give another inch on this. I I think there is time where people just show up at a property that somebody's going to have you know, taken from them or something and just go, you know, we're not going to let you do this today and do it smartly and strategically and publicly to use public opinion and say, this is wrong. I've seen pictures during the Great Depression of, of homes or, or farms that were going to be foreclosed upon and a sign, like painted, hand-painted sign out in the front, Property of a Widow. Not subject to seizure or foreclosure. And that when, you know, someone came to to enact it, the town just came out and said, nah, you ain't gonna be doing that. That's vigilantism. At its finest, folks. At its freaking finest. It's absolutely at its finest. Especially at that time in history. Understand, that lady had no recourse. She had no job. She had a, she'd been a housewife her whole life. Her husband died in the middle of a depression. They're going to throw her out. The town says, you know what? The bank doesn't need this one. The bank can wait till we figure something else out. You're not going to do this. Vigilantism at its finest. Anarchism at its finest. That's actually a classic example of anarchism. People saying, this is so morally reprehensible, we refuse to allow it to happen. You have to be strategic with that. You have to have a large enough group with enough common freaking sense and enough strategic deployment of what you're doing to not end up in prison or dead if you do something like that. But it can be done. We cannot go away quietly all the time. But yes, we still should go away quietly at times. You know? There's there's a lot of people doing a lot of things right now that are technically illegal, but they don't throw it in anybody's face, so they're pretty much left alone. And what you can do with that, a perfect example is home brewing. Home Homebrewing beer. Until the 1970s was illegal. It had been illegal ever since Prohibition. And when Prohibition went away, they never made it legal to make beer at home again. But people did it. And they did it, and they did it, and they did it. But people didn't go out in town square and say, I'm going to homebrew beer, and if you arrest me, I will break out of prison. They just did it. And they spread it as a hobby. And eventually, it had enough popular support that... People started, you know, people that didn't even want to do it said, well, I don't see how this hurts anybody, and I know Tom does it, and his beer's pretty good, and all this thing about you're going to get sick and die is, is nonsense. And, you know, so the federal government relaxes, and then states begin to relax. And now 50 states and the whole country, if you want to homebrew beer, make wine, make cider, all that stuff, you can do it. And it didn't happen because somebody was defiant. And it probably was better that they weren't. Okay. Yet, yet, the exact opposite approach was used to once again allow human beings in this country to legally own gold. People went out with a a block of gold in their hand with a sign that says, I own gold, arrest me. They did it strategically at the right time. They certainly didn't do it during World War II when they would have been busted for trading with the Enemies Act and could have ended up in federal prison or dead. So you have to balance knowing when to be quiet and when to not be quiet. But finishing up today, I want to talk about how you actually figure out, well, what path do I take for this? The first question you have to answer, and I know I said you can't tell other people what to do, and I can't tell you to do this, but what I'm telling you is if you want to be able to develop your own path to freedom, you have to do this. You don't have to, but you're not going to develop a path to freedom without it. You have to ask yourself, what do I actually want? And you have to be willing to say to yourself, do I really know? Because sadly, the biggest reason that most Americans are easily enslaved today is they cannot answer that question. They can answer it off the cuff a lot of times with some generalities and things like that. But if you actually said, listen, no bullshit, no bullshit. Sit down, three pages... And write an essay of your perfect life. I woke up this morning and. And take it all the way until you go to bed. And that is the type of day you want to live every day of your life. Even if you think it's easy. If you try to do it, you can't. I've, I've worked with way too many people. That I've tried to provide counseling for. That can't do it. I, I'll tell you that. The first litmus test I give people, if I do this type of lifestyle counseling counseling with them, is say, can you stand up out loud, head back, chest out, gut sucked in, say it like you really freaking mean it, and say, I deserve what I want. I deserve what I want. Most people can't do it. Now, notice I didn't say you're entitled to what you want. So You deserve it. Two different things. We've been taught that they're the same, so we're afraid to say it. Even the entitlement generation can't say that. Well, we should have this. But you ever notice that, like, all of these, 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 you know, millennials that talk about the way everything should be, they generally don't talk about it for themselves. I think kids should be able to go to college for free, is what they'll say. You almost, they never say, I think my college should be free. Most of them that are in college know that even if it happens, they're going to be done before it happens, and they've still got the debt, and it's not going to go away. It's, it's, it's personified to a third person. All of this entitlement is about what others should have, because they're playing on morality. People are inherently generous. I know you think people are inherently greedy, because that's what you've been taught, but, you're, but it's not true. You just look at the total amount of charity given in this country alone. It was probably enough to run the entire government in 1960, and it's given freely with no coercion. And there's more of it than that. Those are just the nonprofits that report the numbers. Every time somebody pulls out five bucks and gives it to a homeless guy, smart or dumb, depending on who the homeless guy is, but it's still charity. Every time somebody knows a neighbor's in need and, and just makes a bunch of food for the week and takes it over to him and goes here and it's $200 worth of food, it's charity. It's billions, it's countless billions given freely. People are generous. So there, it's hard for them to say that I am actually like I think people are entitled to, but it's generally not the case. Even your Bernie Sanders supporter doesn't say I'm entitled to. People are entitled to. Well, they say you deserve what you want. I deserve well, and it fumbles off. Let me explain what deserving what you want means. Deserving what you want means if you are willing to do what is necessary to acquire it, you deserve the results, and you are you you deserve the right to retain those results and not have them taken from you. That's what I deserve what I want means. Now, can you say it? Some of you still can't. I'm going to break I'm going to pause. And unless you're like in the middle of an office or something, see if you can say it and mean it. Say it like this: I deserve what I want. And many of you think it's goofy and funny and hokey and that's not for me, and you know what? You're you're hiding. It's bullshit. You will never figure out what you want till you believe that you, you have a right to it if you're willing to do the work for it. So you have to answer that for yourself. I, I challenge many of you to do that. Write a three or four page essay. Today I woke up and... and end with... and that night when I laid down to sleep I was grateful for. And many of you could write that with your life right now but it wouldn't be what you really want. So we have to define what we want. And then you have to ask yourself the next more difficult question. Because you have to answer that question in purity. As though there were no obstacles to it whatsoever. As though there was nothing to give up for it whatsoever. Because then you say, well, what do I have to sacrifice for that? And here's why it's important. If you, if you define what you want first, you'll make strategic, intelligent choices that you'll fully understand about what of it you don't get because you do want other things more. I wanted to wake up on the Alaskan tundra and fish for Arctic railing with my fly rod. I would have to give up my wife. I think I'd be happy fishing for rainbow trout in Colorado. Huh? Yeah, I mean, like, and I'm not saying it's always that symbol of a substitution, but that's the reality. Because if you start actually, if you actually think about it, and you might have to do it three or four times and read it three or four times and go, you know what, there's not enough people in my life this way. I want people in my life. Now write that into the narrative. And pretty soon you'll actually understand freedom isn't free. But it's not just a slogan we use to sell a nation on war, freedom in your own life isn't free. Every choice has a consequence. And you have to design your life to bring you the most joy and the most liberty and freedom that you can within the bounds of the things that you actually want and that make you happy. Because I think most of us would agree that if somebody said to us, you can no longer see your spouse and we love our spouse, we would find that a grievous infringement on our freedom and rights. If our spouse was taken and put into prison wrongfully and we're told we couldn't visit them, We would see that as as a violation of the rights of both of us. If our spouse was just taken 10 states away and and, and the government said, you cannot see them anymore, you cannot talk to them. You can do whatever you want, but you can't, and we're not going to tell you where they are. You'll never know. And by the way, they're basically seen to, healthy and comfortable, and, and you even believe that, you'd say this is an egregious infringement upon my freedom. Why? Because you have a desire for that interaction. You have a desire to be with them, that's why you're married or a friend, or a family member. Same thing, all right? So we have to actually realize that we are going to have to sacrifice. And we have to say, well, the next question that is, how much sacrifice will start to cause me more harm than do me good? Where do I find, like, as I start defining the sacrifices I have to make, and I go, willing to do it, willing to do it, willing to do it, not willing to do it. Okay, let's back up to the last one I was willing to do. Even though I'm willing to do this now, what does it really cost me? Am I in the end might I be actually less happy and less free because I'm, I say I'm willing to give this up? And you also have to say to yourself since since this, none of this is guaranteed, since I deserve what I want but I'm not entitled to it Because see if I'm entitled to it, that means it can be taken from somebody else in order to be provided for me. For instance, if you want the life that we started out with Scott's story, if you want Scott's life, A life like Scott's. Let's put it that way. If you want a life like Scott's, you absolutely deserve that life. You may have to, you may very well have to, work as hard or harder than Scott did to get it. You might not have to work anywhere near as hard because of natural talents and resources and abilities, or you have to work a lot harder. But if you want it, and you really want it, and you've done this analysis, and that's what you want, you deserve it. If you're entitled to it, Well, that means that somebody should be able to take it away from Scott, take him and his family and throw them the hell out of their homestead that they worked hard for and install you into it to give it to you because you're entitled. See the difference? So once we have that figured out, we have to start saying to ourselves, okay, what are my greatest strengths and weaknesses? your personality strengths and weaknesses your talent strengths and weaknesses which one of those can I shore up which one of these are just skills that I can develop and which ones are skills that I'll never have for instance if I said you know what here's what I want to be I want to be a world champion mixed martial arts fighter hell I want to be a good amateur mixed martial arts fighter okay dummy well you're blind in your left eye okay not going to happen right you can look after yourself you can train you can do all the things that you do You know, And you can be very skilled at what you do, but if somebody that's even close to equally skilled is training for that style of sporting event and has time to analyze that weakness and their coach works with them, they're just going to take you out because you can't see from your nose over to the left. And you can only compensate for that so much. So that would be a bad career choice for me. Not because I'm totally incapable as a martial artist, but because even if I was a lot better, I have an inherent weakness that cannot be corrected. I can't have laser surgery, I can't be being in a fight like that with a contact lens and it doesn't do that much anyway for me. Certainly can't get in a fight with glasses on. Maybe I could can't hit a guy with glasses, smack. That that rule doesn't apply, right, in that scenario, because you've agreed to it. So I have to look at my strengths and weaknesses. A lot of people would say, you know, Jack, you could have just stayed in corporate America. Hell, you could have just kept working the typical sales gigs that you had. You could have stayed with one instead of going through three in in eight years. And you probably could be knocking down a half a million dollars a year. You could have saved that money up. and, And by now... You wouldn't be doing a pot, you wouldn't be doing anything. You just could just quit. You, you just stored money for that period of time. Yeah, I was miserable and I wanted to kill people and I almost killed myself because I let my health go to shit because I was so miserable. That wasn't my, now I know people from that walk of life that are exiting it now and they're cash rich and they're intellectually rich and their life is good and all of their bills and they, they, they strategically use that thing. That opportunity to get where they wanted to be because their strengths lied in that. They were willing to have somebody tell them what to do every day of their life. They were willing to have someone make them work for three weeks to do a projection for the next year's numbers and then just have that same person go, yeah, well, we're changing it. Then why did you ask me for it? Why did I waste the last three weeks of my life uh, working with 60 different sales reps, going over every number meticulously? Because I have a good friend named Dave who's still in that. He still works for Fluke. That's a lot of years ago, man. That's a lot of years ago. And when when we had that happen to us, I said, Jesus. He goes, you know, it's just the way it is. They do that every year. It's always going to be that way. I'm like... And he's like, well, why'd you put three weeks into it? Why don't you just half ass it? They're going to change it anyway. Why don't you just take your numbers from last year, add 10% to them, and know they're going to jack it up another 20? Because I can't do that. Because I can't do that. You're asking me to put my name to something and say I'm actually projecting what this, this, you know, $70 million region will do next year? I take that shit seriously. So that's not to my strengths. That's not to my strengths. This is my strength. I love to teach. This is to my strength. This is, so that's what you have to do. What are your strengths and weaknesses? If you want to be a farmer, but you've never grown a blade of grass in your life, you've got to start somewhere and see if that's really a good idea for you. And then you also have to ask yourself this. This is the most important question you can ask yourself today. What direction are you headed in? Because there's only two. Better or worse. And if you're headed toward worse, you need to get real serious right now about putting on the brakes and firing up the steam engine, go in the opposite direction. Life won't leave you alone. The system won't leave you alone. The government won't leave you alone. Your fellow citizenry of your nation won't leave you alone. You have to take a proactive stance in your own life for your own liberty. And if you don't do it, somebody will do it for you. I tell you this all the time because it's the truth. If you don't control your life, it will be controlled for you. If you don't plan your life, it will be planned for you. And many of you guys that are young that are heading off to college, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you've got to ask yourself if this is what you really want to do with your life. Because so many of you are being shoved in by parents that don't know any better. And you can get out four or five years from now, 80000 $90,000 in debt, and say it's not my fault. No one's going to give a shit. No one is going to care. And the government's not going to forgive your loan. They're not going to pay it off. It's not going to go away. They will garnish your Social Security checks to make sure you pay it back. If there's Social Security when you retire. That's how serious it is. So do you really want to do this? And I'm not saying not to go. I'm saying what are your strengths and weaknesses? What do you want? If you don't know, go do something else. Go figure something out. Go find your own way. Go find your own life. Final thoughts today. Remember... These are the most important things to understand about freedom in order to have it. No one can divide freedom for you, nor can you for another. That's actually the antithesis of freedom. When you start telling somebody else what their vision of freedom is, you're infringing on their own freedom. Secondly, what some would consider total freedom, others might consider total slavery and vice versa. So you can't model your freedom off of what looks good that somebody else does, but you have to figure out what you really want. Third. If you have to withdraw to a place you don't want to be in in order to be free, you're not free. You just have a prison with really wide walls. Fourth, if you're going to have other people in your life, your freedom must be balanced with theirs through that voluntary association as a natural consequence. Fifth, if you're to have freedom, others must be able to do things you don't like and do not approve of. It is impossible for you to be free when the rights of others to do things that are peaceful and do not harm others are threatened. Six, the current state of the world is not a state of freedom. So you will have to fight for every piece of it you take back or you will have to be strategic. There's no third option. You'll either have to decide what you're willing to give up and position your life to mitigate that circumstance or you're going to have to put yourself into a position where it cannot be infringed upon. Society doesn't want freedom. Right now, society doesn't want freedom. I think in our hearts and our souls, and our beings as humans, we crave freedom. That's why freedom that's been corrupted is used to sell us on the need for authority. And that's why it's so effective. So when I say society doesn't want freedom, I don't mean that in their inner being, their true selves, they don't yearn to be free. I believe the human being is a spiritual being. that It is optimized for freedom. That we are, we are, we feel an urge to go feral daily, to rewild ourselves. And that doesn't necessarily live, mean living primitive in the jungle, but to be in touch with natural surroundings and to be able to interact with each other in a way that we see fit. I believe that's what we really are, but in the collective psychosis, That is the false belief in a freedom that is not. Society doesn't want freedom. And all you have to do is look at either side of the dichotomy and start asking them, do you think people should be able to do this? Do you think people should be able to do that? And you'll find a hundred things they say people shouldn't be able to do. That means they don't want freedom. Unless those things, again, don't be stupid about it. Do you think people should be able to rape children? Well, no, but of course that violates non-aggression. Okay, But what I'm saying is people have all these things. Oh, people shouldn't be able to do that. Do you, you think people should be able to put whatever kind of fence they want up? Oh, God, no. What could happen to property values? You don't want freedom. Now, again, what I, I gave a pass on HOAs to is if they only existed for that purpose, if there was none of this other shit, if there wasn't 75 layers of government already, And and a group of people put in a community and decided to start it together and said this is our rules and everybody that went there went there voluntarily, that's fine. But if you had the government pass a law that says unless the person's contractually obligated and agreed to of their own free will, they can have any kind of fence they want. There are people that would oppose that. If you'd oppose that, what the hell can you say that you want freedom? If you think that a person should be imprisoned, or even fined, or even slapped with a wet noodle for planting a seed that grows a certain kind of plant, you don't want freedom. You want control. You want control through proxy. You want to control through proxy. You don't want to do the, the, the force, the violence yourself. You want to be sanitized from it. You want to wash your hands and watch somebody else do it in a uniform and say, See? It's right. Because the guy with the shiny badge did it. And there's a court system to make sure it's all fair and balanced. It can never be fair and balanced. It can never be fair and balanced to incarcerate someone for a freaking plant. It can't be. And it's just one example of what can't be. It can never be fair and balanced that there are places today, if you want to plant a tree in your front yard, you have to go to the courthouse and apply for an earth disturbance permit to plant an apple tree or a peach tree or a fruitless pear or any stupid tree you want. And if you don't do it, you can, the, 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 the threat of violence at the point of a gun will be used to extort money from you, and they may come tear your tree out and require you to put grass back the way that it was on your own property. I'm not talking about digging a strip and all. I'm talking about planting a tree. There cannot be liberty in the minds of a people that allow this. Your country has turned its back on freedom. It's up to you to wake them up. But know you will have to fight. Know you will have to work for every inch you get. But know that it's worth it. People have to see freedom again to know freedom again. And with that, this has been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life If times get tough Or even if they don't Stood there boldly Sweating in the sun Felt like a million Felt like number one The height of summer I'd never felt that strong Like a rock I was 18 Didn't have a care Working for peanuts Not a dime to spare But I was leaning Solid everywhere Like a rock My hands were steady My eyes were clear and bright My walk had purpose My steps were quick and light, and I held firm to what I felt was right, like a rock. Like a rock. I was strong as I could be, like a rock. Nothing ever got to me, like a rock. I was something to see Like a rock And I stood arrow straight Unencumbered by the weight Of all these hustlers and their schemes I stood proud, I stood tall High above it all I still believed in my dreams Twenty years I don't know I sit and I wonder sometimes where they've gone And sometimes late at night Oh when I bathe in the firelight Moon comes calling a ghostly way. And I recall, I recall, like a rock standing arrow straight, like a rock charging from the gate.